So one of the terms that's emerged over the last couple of months has been this idea of pandemic promises. It's a term that was actually new to me uh, because I've never actually been in a global pandemic before. But the idea essentially are these promises that organizations or even individuals make based in response to the pandemic that they may or may not be able to or, or willing to actually fully live out over the long haul. A number of high profile companies did this really well. Uh, you know, the auto insurance companies, for instance, that send, they would, said that they would send back premiums for their customers based on kind of lower driving habits. They did it, they promised it, and they delivered. But there were companies that also didn't do their pandemic promises well. Uh, for instance, the, the airline that very publicly said that customer safety is our absolute top priority and, and therefore we're gonna block out all the center seats to allow for greater social distancing on our flights. Customer safety is our top priority. And then photos began to emerge on the internet of planes that were absolutely jam packed full and the airline had to kind of walk back those promises, or, or the companies that say, we're gonna pay our frontline workers at, at these grocery stores and delivery drivers. These are heroes, they're frontline heroes, we're gonna pay them extra. But as the pandemic has sort of gone on and dragged on, these companies have had to walk back those pandemic promises. Organizations that got all kinds of great press for their promises, but then had to kind of hide when it became necessary for them to walk back those promises. And it's easy for us as consumers to kind of criticize big corporations that have done this, but isn't it true that many of us during this season of sort of multiple pandemics, health pandemics and cultural pandemics, isn't it true that many of us have sort of made some of our own pandemic promises? Promises that we would be different going forward. Promises that we would see race differently. Promises that we would never again take for granted time with our friends and family. Promises that we would never again return to the hustle and bustle of everyday life and work hours that were killing us. But now, as we sort of count the cost of actually keeping those promises, as restrictions begin to ease, as news stories begin to feature less and less protests and more and more everyday life again, isn't it easy for us to even in subtle ways begin to walk back our pandemic promises? I think there's a lesson for that for us, in that for us. That's a place to write this down. It's easy to make pandemic promises. When you're facing the crisis, when you're questioning the safety of your family and your friends and your parents, when, when you're living in the fear of global pandemic, when you're seeing images of cities burning and of lives being taken unjustly, it's easy to make promises that things are gonna change. But then as the weeks go by and the pressures begin to relax, it's easy to forget pandemic promises. I heard a news story the other day that consumer spending in May set an all-time record, erasing at least part of the deficit from the previous two months. According to Reuters, consumer spending, which accounts for more than two-thirds of economic activity, let that sink in, consumer spending jumped 8.2% last month. That was the largest increase since the government started tracking the series in 1959. And I guess in some senses, that, that's really good news. I mean, it's a, an indication that the economy is starting to rebound and that, that's good news. 
But at the same time, I have to wonder if it isn't also an indication that perhaps we might be returning to some of our old patterns, our old reality, that we are beginning to walk back some of those pandemic promises. How do we determine if we are learning the lessons we need to learn during the series or during the season? And then how do we know that we are carrying those lessons forward into this next chapter of our lives? Well, today we are continuing the series that we've been in called Exodus, Lessons from the Wilderness. Over the last couple of weeks, Chris and Dan have walked us through the story of Moses going to Pharaoh and demanding on behalf of God that Pharaoh would let the Hebrew slaves go, literally hundreds of thousands of slaves. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he refused. So God used miraculous plagues to put Pharaoh and to put Egypt sort of in its own crisis, its own pandemic moment. Egypt saw their rivers turn to blood, their crops decimated by insects, their livestock destroyed, their bodies ravaged by boils, their economy and their security and their health all brought to the point of disaster. But all of that was not enough to change the heart of Pharaoh. It wasn't until the Egyptians started to see their own sons dying the change finally came about and Pharaoh promised to let the Hebrew people go. Well, here today, we are looking at the story of Israel and, and this is day one. This is the very first day that they are leaving to begin their exodus to the promised land. They've been released and they're beginning their journey. So we're gonna start reading uh, Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse five. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all these Israelite slaves get away? They asked. Pharaoh forgot his promise as soon as he counted the real cost. I mean, how on earth would he rebuild his economy without the slave labor? How would he rebuild without slaves to replant their crops, rebuild their buildings, restart their commerce? As soon as the crisis of the plagues were done, Pharaoh said, wait, what, what have we done? Next verse. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commanders. Pharaoh marshaled all of his resources, all of his troops to try to get back to that old system, to try to get back to the status quo. He had forgotten his promises, but he also forgot the circumstances that had brought them to this moment. He forgot the God who had brought him to this moment. Before the Egyptians had even buried their sons, they had forgotten their pandemic promises. It's easy to forget pandemic promises. And at least for me, I can see myself a little bit in this story of the Egyptians. I mean, and there's a lesson for me and perhaps for us. I mean, as we count the cost of what it would really mean to change our lives, our lifestyles, our priorities, our consuming, our sort of low-grade racism, and our indifference to the needs of the world around us, as we realize how difficult that will actually be, and at the same time, as we are now suddenly beginning to actually be able to feel a little bit more normal Again, life is feeling like it's returning to something like normal. It'll be so easy for us to forget those pandemic promises 
So easy for us to marshal our resources, try to get back to that status quo that we value so much. But back to the story. You see, Pharaoh wasn't the only one in the story to forget all that had happened in Egypt. Israel, too, had a very short memory. I mean, here's Israel, and it's literally day one of their exodus. Day one, they're just leaving, and they've reached this seashore, and their path is sort of a dead end. They've got nowhere to go. They're up against the water, and there's no path out. And they look back, and they see Pharaoh coming, and his army is bearing down on them. Let's pick up the story in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Israel too had forgotten their promises, forgotten the circumstances that brought them to this moment, forgotten the God who brought them to this moment. But I think even more remarkably, they had forgotten their cries to God in the midst of their captivity. They had forgotten the pain of being in bondage and were instead looking at the past with these sort of rose-colored glasses, remembering the good old days back when life made sense, back when they were slaves. And again, I think there's a lesson in that for us. I can see myself not only in the Egyptians in this story, but also in the Israelites, the people of God. Pastor Chris said it so many times in the last series we did, our new kingdom normal, that it's natural, it's normal for us to look back and, and to remember 2019 so fondly and the season before that so fondly and to, to wish that we could return to the way things were. It's easy for us, as it was for Israel, to forget that what we were in wasn't all that great. We were in bondage to our lifestyles, to our schedules, to our anxiety, to our depression, to our medications to keep us happy. We tend to look back with rose-colored glasses. We tend, like Israel, to say it was better to be a slave to all of that than to be out here in the wilderness of the unknown where life doesn't make sense. But Israel couldn't go back to Egypt, and neither can we. So what does God say? Let's continue. Exodus 14 in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots, and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. God says, get moving. Step out into the unknown, and you will see me do the miraculous. And so once again, Moses steps out into that unknown and as a result gets to witness God doing the most miraculous sign yet. Moses raises his hand over the water and God causes a great wind to rise up and blow a path of dry land right through the middle of the sea. 
I think we have an artist's depiction that we can put on the screen here. A pathway of dry ground right through the middle with these gigantic walls of water just being held up by the hand of God, the wind of God. And the people are able to cross through the sea on dry land. Imagine walking and just seeing these enormous walls of water being suspended around you as you walk through this tunnel of air. And then after miles of walking, the Israelites are able to step onto the distant shore and look back across the sea and see that column of air that existed between the walls of water. But then as they were looking, they saw the Egyptians began to enter that same tunnel and they were reminded of the fear. They were reminded of the pursuit that they were being pursued. But then Moses raised his hand again and the water came crashing down surrounding and washing away the Egyptian soldiers and chariots and horses. God caused this all to happen so that he could save his people in a way that only God could save them. Both Pharaoh and the people of God in the story forgot their pandemic promises, forgot the God who had brought them to this moment. And it ended in tragedy for Egypt and very near tragedy for the people of God. How do we learn from them? As we get moving, as we begin to go into this next chapter, this next phase, how do we learn from these, from these lessons, from these stories? How do, how do we not forget our own pandemic promises? I wanna take just a few minutes and share with you a couple of ideas that we have, that we can carry these lessons that we've learned, these promises that we've made forward. There's a place to write these in your notes, but we've also included this week in your sermon notes. If you click on the link on the, on the website, in the sermon notes, there's actually an exercise that you can do at home this week where we'll ask you a series of these questions and you can just spend some time reflecting and asking God to show you what are the lessons that he would have you learn during this time. I invite you to do that as sort of a personal devotion and reflection time this week. You see, every pandemic promise needs a plan. What's your plan for moving forward? Well, I think the first step is you have to capture your promises. And that, that requires actually thinking and sitting and being still. I know for me as a person who is always sort of ADD, it is so hard to sit still and to think and to reflect. And I know that in talking with so many of you that this season that we've been in, it has been increasingly difficult to just find a place to concentrate and to think and to be quiet. But as hard as that is, I would ask, what would it be like if you could pause and reflect on what we've experienced, what you've experienced over these past months? Ask yourself questions like, what changed in your worldview during this time? What fears troubled you most? Where have you seen God move? What lessons did you learn about your priorities or goals? What lessons did you learn about yourself or others or God? What things did you promise were going to be different going forward? Those may have been very valuable thoughts. Those may have been very valuable lessons. Those may have been holy moments. Capture them. Write them down. And then having done that work of capturing those promises, those thoughts, those experiences, the second step is to reflect on those promises. Evaluate the promises you've made. Promises that were made from a place of deep and often very appropriate emotional response to some really difficult situations. Prayerfully discern which of those need to be carried forward. 
There may be promises that you made in those moments that now need to be released. And that's okay. But I'm guessing there were also promises. There were decisions. There were convictions that you felt. Ideas that you experienced that now need to be carried forward. Then having prayerfully sort of reflected on those promises and which promises you are feeling called and led to carry forward, the third step is to make a plan. I mean, create a plan for yourself as an individual or as a couple or as a family. What changes do you want to see? And what would it take to actually begin to see, to affect that change in your pattern and in your lives? And I'm not saying you have to come up with a five-year plan. I mean, you certainly could. Maybe simply establish what's the first step? What's one simple way that I can say yes What would it look like for me to hold out my hand over the sea and wait for God to do the miraculous? And then once you've sort of drafted that plan, the fourth step, the final step is to actually share that plan. Share your plan with someone else. Share it with a friend or an accountability partner. Share it with the members of your small church. The people in your lives that know you, that know your heart, that know your desires, who can help you and encourage you to actually begin to affect that change in your life. I know that none of that is you know, like super mind-blowing, like, wow, we would have never thought of that, Jason. Well done. But the reality is, if we aren't intentional... It would be so easy for us to beginning to begin to start to walk back our pandemic promises. It's easy to forget pandemic promises. Don't let this season go by without finding a way to capture the emotions, the thoughts, the ideas, the convictions, and the promises of this season. Well, there's just another couple of lessons that I think we can draw from this story that I think are valuable for us today. The first is that the people of God worship. And that sounds basic. That sounds like something we know. But as you continue to read the story, as you go from chapter 14 to chapter 15, Israel's immediate response to what they've just seen is to respond in worship. And not simply to sing any song, but to specifically sing a song that recounted, that recalled, that retold the story of what God had just done, what God had just accomplished through them and in them. And I think fundamentally, that is a big part of what worship is. Worship is both a response and a recalling. Worship is both responding to who God is and what he has done in this world, but it's also a recalling, a retelling the story over and over again. It's sort of a re-remembering for our own sakes, but also for the sakes of others, for the sake of others too, for the sake of the next generation, and for the sake of those who do not yet know God. Worship is saying, this is who God is. This is what God does. Let me tell you about this God that we worship. The people of God worship. We worship so that we might remember and so that others might know who God is. I think perhaps the most profound lesson in this story, and it's not necessarily an obvious lesson at first reading, But the most profound lesson I think of this story is that God 
wants to be known. Wants to be known by us, understood by us, but wants to be known by the people that do not yet know him. If we go back just for a moment to that chapter 14 where God was saying what he was about to do, raise your hand and I'll clear the waters. Listen to why God says he's going to do this miraculous sign. Verse 18, when my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Throughout this story and throughout the stories that, that we're going to continue to see through the rest of the summer, God's constant desire, God's constant motivation is that his people would know him, that the world would know him and understand him. He is a God who wants to be known. God wants to know you and wants you to know him. Think about that. That's the invitation of this story. That is the beauty and the grace and the majesty of this story. It's God's heart to be known in this season that we are in, in this moment right here, God has made his own pandemic promises. That he is a God who wants to be found. He is a God who wants to be known. A God who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. Who wants to go with us in our wilderness experiences. And God will never walk back his pandemic promises to us. We are now going to go into a time of communion. This is something that we do on a monthly basis. Holy communion is in itself. This is an act of worship. It's an act of retelling, of recounting the story of what God did in the person of Jesus Christ. A freedom that we have been given, a redemption that we, like Israel, have experienced. We have been freed from the bondage of sin, of being slaves to fear and death. This is a celebration, a recounting, a retelling of who God is and what God does and what we're invited into, the God who wants to be known. And we aren't the first to retell it. The church has done this literally since its inception. The Apostle Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, wrote these words, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. As we worship, as we join with the voices of the church since the church began to retell this story, we are saying this is who God is. This is the kind of God that we worship. A God who wants to be known. If you're with us today and you don't know God, this God that we worship, I would invite you to pray these prayers that we're about to pray with us as we prepare for communion. And maybe you're praying this for the millionth time. Or maybe this is a new one to you and it'll have a new meaning to you. Perhaps this is a moment where you can speak these words 
and turn your life over to God. Say, I want to follow. Help me to follow you, God, the God who wants to be known. Pray with us. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we'll be made clean. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would now, in this time of reflection and preparation, begin to call to mind in me and to each of the people that are listening to these words, that you'd begin to call to mind those convictions, those thoughts, those ideas, those, the, those moments where we realize the change that needs to happen in us, that you remind us of those moments, those promises. And God, you give us wisdom to discern what is it that you've called us to do and be in this world. God, we celebrate your faithfulness and your goodness, and we are so grateful that you are a God who wants to be known, who's given us your word to reveal yourself, and then more importantly, has given us your son to perfectly represent who you are. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the fact that you made a way for us to be restored and redeemed, brought back into a perfect relationship with you, and an ever better relationship with one another. Accomplish that in us, we pray. Now, God, we pray using the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.